Give a round of applause. Morning. Morning. Um, I'm normally very. Hmm? That's okay. I normally have no anxiety and no nerves whatsoever about standing in front of people and speaking to them. But you know, this morning I just I have butterflies. I actually, for the first time in as long as I can remember, feel something different about speaking to you this morning. I have a sense of expectation in the room this morning and I have had a sense of expectation for the last couple of weeks um, about what God's doing in these days and what God's doing in this place. So I'll, I'll start off um, and I'll tell you, um, for those who don't know, some of you might already know a little bit of my personal story. Um, so um, yeah, my name is Lisa and um, I was born in North Belfast, very close to the Peace Line. Um, during the Troubles. And I may have said, I may have used this phrase to some of you before, but the soundtrack to my childhood, the soundtrack to my childhood was the double whop of the uh, blades of a Chinook helicopter. That to me was the soundtrack of my childhood. Now, for those of you who've lived through something similar, you'll, you'll maybe understand something about that. But for those of you who haven't, um, who haven't that really um, symbolised just that sense of um, uh, of fear and anxiety that there was in my community at the time that I was uh, that I was growing up, um, and when I was um, eighteen, I couldn't um, I couldn't wait couldn't wait to get away from North Belfast and that house close to the Peace Line. So I moved away, and I moved to Dundee, and when I was in Dundee, when I was nineteen years old, um, I became a follower of Jesus. Um, God found me. And um, that, of course, utterly, utterly transformed, uh, transformed my life. But something else happened to me when I was, um, uh, I think, probably either 19 or 20 years old in, in Dundee. And that is that someone gave me a prophetic word. Someone said to me, I, I want to say something to you that I believe is from the Lord and that I want to give you. And that was a new experience for me. And what that person said to me was, there was quite a lot to it, but one part of that prophetic word that someone brought to me that they felt they'd heard from the Lord that God wanted to communicate to me was they said, I see you, I see you in, um, in, in boots. Um, I see you in boots and, and I see your feet and you're walking through a very rocky terrain. I'm picturing the rocky terrain of Texas as I'm describing this to you. And what I see is that you're wearing heavy boots because your ankles need to be protected from the snakes. But I also see that God will take you through that rocky terrain and bring you into a place where you'll be wearing party shoes again. And that really sat with me for quite a long time, decades in fact, because you can see I'm not 19 anymore. But that has lived with me for quite a long time. And I've always understood that to be figurative to be symbolic and it often um, it often provided me with comfort and reassurance when I went through difficult times in my life I thought yeah this feels like a bit of a rocky terrain this feels like a difficult season I'm going through but God is with me and God will take me through this season well in autumn 2022 
someone gave me an invitation to go to Austin, Texas to speak at a conference and I suddenly in that moment realised that something that someone had spoken over me that really felt a weight of the presence of God about it wasn't just figurative, it was actually literal. And I was so excited that God was taking a little girl from North Belfast via Dundee to Austin, Texas to share something that God had put in my heart that was really significant. So I travelled 4,884 miles to go to um, a well-established and well-known church in Austin, Texas to share something with them. And I'm going to now share with you a little bit of the message that I took to them and, and just hopefully with a flavour that sits comfortably with you, if I may. So this is the message that, um, that I took to Austin, Texas. I've spoken here in this church before about Gideon, uh, about the account in Judges, um, in Judges 6 of, um, of Gideon, who was one of the leaders of God's people. And what I felt that God had, um, had put in my heart more recently was to look a little bit more carefully at the Midianites. The Midianites were the enemies of God's people. They were oppressing God's people. They were bringing constraint. They were, in fact, devouring the land. That's the expression that, they, uh, that the Bible uses. The people of God were being ravaged by the Midianites. And after seven years of being ravaged and devoured by the Midianites, God's people cried out to God for rescue. Now, the interesting thing about the Midianites was that the Midianites used camels. The Midianites used camels in warfare. They were the first people, historically, to use camels in warfare. And I just found myself quite drawn to that part of the account of Gideon where the Midianites used camels. And so what I have learnt is that camels represent certain things. Camels represent speed. This is why the Midianites were such successful oppressors. It's because they used camels in their warfare. Camels were fast. They had endurance. They had self-sufficiency. And camels represent self-sufficiency, pride and endurance. Now, my workplace, as a healthcare professional, I see a lot of camels in my workplace. I have been a camel in my workplace. Healthcare professionals are quite renowned for this. I saw a placard recently held by a nurse who was on strike saying, think we'll give up? You've no idea how long we wait to pee. <laughs> there is, I, I, have, I have been that healthcare provider legs crossed for another few hours of the shift. Really, really, I have often subjected myself to feats of endurance that I would never recommend to my patients. I've often subjected myself to a lifestyle that I would tell patients is not right and is not good for them. And so I come from my work context and my work culture where self-sufficiency, pride and, and, and esteem and status are, are, are a weapon, are a weapon of what God wants to do. And I think that's a little snapshot of our culture. Doesn't our culture reward and value pride, self-sufficiency and endurance? But that actually is an enemy of what God wants to do. That's so different from what the kingdom of God looks like. Because the kingdom of God is about dependency, about community, and about humility. 
So God doesn't want you to be a camel. There's another interesting little thing in the account of Gideon, away near the end of the account of Gideon. Gideon takes a companion with him when he goes to look at the Midianite camp, when he's about to defeat the Midianites. He takes someone with him, his servant, and his servant is called Pura. And Pura uh, has, has different interpretations, different meanings, but the word Pura can mean donkey. And the reason why Pura means donkey is it's because it's a derivative of a word that means fruitful, fruitful one. The donkey is the fruit of the herd. But the donkey symbolises love, servanthood and humble wanderings. We associate the donkey with Jesus, don't we? And so my question to you, do you want to be a camel? <laughs> I don't want to be a camel anymore. I'm done with cameling. I want to be an ass for Jesus. <laughs> Would you like to be a donkey? So I was asking God, well, what's the antidote to being a camel? And God showed me the antidote to being a camel is to thirst. See, camels don't have thirst. Camels don't know when they're thirsty. Camels just keep going and going and going and going. And the people looking after the camels can't tell when the camels need fed and when the camels need watered. And camels apparently keep on going and going and going until they drop. God made us to be thirsty people, physically. We can't go for long at all without a drink of water, can we? We can barely go a couple of hours without a drink of water. God made us to be thirsty people. We need to drink regularly. There are other fascinating creatures in creation. Desert rats, they can go five years without a drink. For the geeks among you, tardigrades, is that right? Who's ever heard of a tardigrade? Where are the full on? Oh, yeah, no surprises there. There are two people in the room who've heard of tardigrades. And, okay, my quiz is, how long can a tardigrade go without water? 100 years. 100 years a tardigrade can go without water. God didn't make us to be desert rats or tardigrades, we need to drink often. Lord, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, water is really essential. It's essential for life. It's essential to quench our thirst. We need it for drinking but we also need it for cleansing and we also need it for farming. Okay, we need water for all of those things. Water is beautiful in all its forms. So in John 4, Jesus was at the well with a Samaritan woman and she was asking for a drink. She said, um, what about this water? Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I will give you will never thirst again. The Holy Spirit, the water that I give you will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Water takes all sorts of forms, doesn't it? Waterfalls, snow, frost, sea, lakes, waves, tears. So, we need water. We need God to quench our thirst. This is the message that I took to the conference in Austin, Texas. 
I delivered this message on the first day of the conference. I delivered another message on the second day of the conference. And I just enjoyed being in a beautiful atmosphere of worship and expectancy. There was significant expectancy in that place. And then I really was asking God more about, for me personally, and I was asking God about coming home, coming back to Derry, coming back to Northern Ireland from my trip to Texas. And I had a really powerful encounter with God. I'd been asking God for some time if God would give me an awareness of angels. Now, I don't have a really good theology of this, but people who I love and trust have told me about angelic encounters, encounters with angels. And I said, God, if that's from you, I want a bit of that. And so while I was there, just resting, just quietly on my, uh, on my own, um, I, I, I had an insight. God gave me an, an angelic encounter. And what that an angelic encounter did for me was it provided a profound healing because God revealed two angels to me. And God revealed to me that the soundtrack to my childhood was not the double blades of Chinook helicopters, but was actually the noise of angels' wings. I had a most profound sense of healing of my own childhood experiences. And what God showed me was that there are deep healing wells and those deep healing wells are here. Those deep healing wells were not in Texas. It's a dry place. It's quite a barren place. They are crying out to God for water physically and figuratively. They're looking to God. And so I had that very profound sense of healing. And then on, at the end of the conference, just with the core team that I was with, I was just praying and I was saying to God, God, I would really, I, I've just been in this city. I've been in this city of Austin, Texas, and I've gone the short distance between my hotel and the, and the conference venue and back again. But I've come 4,842 miles and I've waited decades for this. I've waited for this since I was 19 years old. I want to see this picture of this rocky terrain in reality. I asked God for that. And as I was just reading, um, as I was reading and, uh, and just making some notes in my Bible and I was thinking about these deep healing wells, I thought, okay, go to the Bible and see where the Bible talks about these deep wells. And I thought, right, Jacob's well, Jacob's well. So I went on my Bible app and I put in Jacob's well and nothing came up, okay? And I thought, oh, right, I wonder if somebody's written about it. I'll, I'll go to Google instead. And I put into Google Jacob's well. And the first hit that came up when I put in Jacob's Well into my phone app, it said, Jacob's Well, Wimberley, Texas. Right. And I thought, wow, there's a Jacob's Well in, in Wimberley, Texas. Texas is a very, very big place. I wonder, I saw a picture of it on Google and I thought, that looks like the place I've had in my mind's eye since I was 19 years old. I wonder whereabouts in Texas that is. And so I put it into my map. It was 42 minutes drive away. Mm -hmm. So I asked 
someone on the team with a car, can we go to Jacob's Well? Can we go to Jacob's Well this afternoon? Because Jacob's Well is a physical, is a physical place. And then I realised that the reason why I hadn't found the right thing in my Bible was because I had misremembered. There are no, Jacob's Well is not the story in the Bible I was looking for. I was looking for Isaac's wells. Because Abraham had dug some wells in uh, Genesis 26. Abraham had dug some wells, but they'd been blocked up. Those wells were no longer functioning. Those wells were no longer providing water for drinking, water for life, water for cleansing, or water for farming. They were blocked up. They were contaminated. They were full of rubbish. They were no good to anyone. And Isaac came along and God told Isaac to unblock those wells. And God gave me a picture of people unblocking wells. And I saw people in those blocked up wells, leaning over the wells, lifting out boulders and lifting out dirt. And it was hot, it was a dry and weary land where there was no water. And it was backbreaking work. And God showed me it doesn't have to be that way. Because you see the streams of living water, when they bubble up from underneath, it was almost like God reversed gravity. It was like all those rocks and boulders were suddenly lighter and of less substance than the water was. And all the debris floated to the top and was so easy to just push aside. And I believe that's what God gave me for this place. This is a land that is so full of water and rain and heritage of deep healing wells. But there's no striving to clean the dirt out of those wells. It's the Holy Spirit coming up through those wells and it makes it so easy to just push that to the side. So my little team, we jumped in the car and we said, uh, the driver said, mm, it'll take us 42 minutes to drive there. And it says here it closes at 5.30. And I think we'll only manage to get to spend 10 minutes there. It's a national park. And I said, if God's told us to go there, we're going. They went, yeah, we are, we're going. So we jumped in the car and we drove 45 minutes up into the mountains to a national park where Jacob's Well was. And when we read the information about Jacob's Well, it felt so powerfully prophetic. It, it felt like it was such a powerful word from God. Jacob's Well was an aquifer. There's lots and lots of water under the ground and the spring used to rise up and the geyser used to be eight feet tall but the geyser got lower and lower. And the, st the stream, the brook, the, cr the, uh, the creek, the creek doesn't even flow anymore. There's not a ripple. It's just one little stagnant pond. And the reason why Wikipedia told us that Jacob's creek, that Jacob's well doesn't flow in that creek anymore is because of lack of authority. There's lack of authority to stop people tapping into that aquifer and taking the water for other things. And the organisation, the ecological, the environmental organisation that we're looking to campaign to bring something, to get this natural area restored to how it was years ago, are called the uh, Texas Living Waters. Texas. So we were reading that when we got there and we're like, that is so powerful. And so three of us sat at Jacob's Well in Texas and prayed and declared living waters for Texas.
But as we prayed living waters for Texas, my prayer was living waters for this nation, for this land, for this place that is so rich. And I looked around and I thought, what a dry, what a dry place this is. What a wet place I come from. What a beautiful, beautiful wet place. What restoration there is. And I'd shared, um, uh, uh, I'd shared a poem when I went to Texas, when I talked about thirst. Um, I felt really inclined to share a poem. Many of you might know this poem really well because it's very significant. It was written in this area. I took it to Texas. God enlarged the edges of my tent and I've brought this poem back and I want to share this poem with you now. It's not written by, it's not written by a Christian, but neither was Wikipedia. And they had living waters for Texas and that was our prayer for that day. I'm going to read you a poem now. History says, don't hope on this side of the grave. But then, once in a lifetime, the longed for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. So hope for a great sea change on the far side of revenge. Believe that a farther shore is reachable from here. Even miracles and cures and healing wells. Call the miracle self-healing, the utter self-healing double take of feeling. If there's fire on the mountain or lightning and storm and God speaks from the sky, that means someone is hearing the outcry and the birth cry of a new life at its term. The water is the glory of God. It's healing, holy water, for healing here and for the healing of the nations. No wonder the nations will want to come here and experience that deep healing of the Holy Spirit, of the springs of loving water. I think probably I just want to have us pause for a minute and just ask God what he's doing, what that means to us, what it means to you individually, what it means to you personally, and just take a hold of that. Let's get thirsty for God. Let's leave our camel-like nature behind. Get a deep, deep thirst for God, that we might receive the healing water in our own lives, in whatever way we need it, and allow that to rise up and be springs of living water and healing for the nations. You're like my family here. I'm so grateful to all of those of you who've made space for us in this place. I have redeemed my own history and my own heritage. In a way, God has changed my history through healing. I'm so grateful to those of you who've welcomed us into your homes and into your lives. Would you join with me, family? And can we just take a deep drink and just allow the Holy Spirit to quench our thirst.
Holy Spirit, we declare our need for you. Lord, we bring before you those dark areas of our lives, those areas where we are so dry, where we are so dry, where we feel that the enemy has devoured and ravaged the plans and purposes you have for us. Holy Spirit, would you come into those deep places? Would your spirit rise up in us? Lord, that all that debris might just float to the top as insignificant, as of less substance than the substance of your glory. Lord, might we experience your glory like living water. And Lord, would you show us all the many ways that you want to quench our thirst? Would you show us all the forms of water that you have for us? God, would you show us individually what you want to give to us today? God, whether you want to quench our thirst in water to drink, water for cleansing, or water for farming. Lord, would you show us where our tears have been like a holy offering to you? Lord God, fill us once again. Fill us with your spirit that we might know your abundance, that we might know our thirst has been quenched, that we might not just have an experience of you, God, but that we may have your permanent habitation, the constant flow and the constant spring of your living water in us. Lord, not just for ourselves, not for the quenching of our own thirst, but God, for our family, our communities, our city, our nation and the nations. God, I thank you for those who you've given big dreams to. I thank you for your pleasure over those who dare to dream big dreams. God, we declare that our corporate dream is not just to see you touch us as individuals, but God, to see your living waters flow out from here, just as has been spoken over this place previously through that beautiful image that we have on the wall of waters flowing out of this place. God, would you bring your healing to us and through us your healing to the nations. In Jesus' name. Amen.